but we do make that available. So, 1 Timothy chapter 1. <clears throat> so, as we, as we make our way through 1 Timothy, and of course, again, kind of remind ourselves uh, where we've been, where we're going, the whole purpose of 1 Timothy is you've got the church in rule. Here's the purpose behind the church. Here's how the church is supposed to work, how it's supposed to be laid out. We'll get into that a little bit more once we get into chapter 3, the, the layout of the things with the, with the bishops and, 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 and deacons and things like that. Um, but what, what Paul's doing here with Timothy is trying to lay some groundwork. And the first issue is not, hey, let's get the carpet right, let's get the floors stuff right, let's get the seats right. It's let's get the doctrine right. Right, and that's what he starts off with in First Timothy chapter one. Um, that's the issue. Want to make sure that you get the doctrine right, because if you get the doctrine right, all the other stuff is going to come into play. All right. So we've gotten up through um, really verse fourteen. So what I want us to do is we're going to start at verse fifteen. We'll read verse fifteen and sixteen, and then we'll see how far we get today. So First Timothy chapter one, verse fifteen. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Father, we thank you once again for the time that we have to study your word, that you preserved it throughout the years and ages that we can have it, we can handle it, we can study it. And we can take that information and apply it to our lives that we would be to the praise and honor and glory of your grace. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> now, again, the whole issue here that Paul's starting off with Timothy is make sure you get the doctrine right. In fact, if you look here at the end of verse 3, he says the reason that he's leaving him here at the end of verse 3, he says that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies. You take a look, and that's what he's saying. He's starting off at the very beginning and says, there are some folks that are doing this stuff, and I want you to charge them not to. Don't teach other doctrine. Teach the stuff that you've been taught. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 says what? That the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. It's the same thing. Don't change it. Don't, don't add to it. Don't subtract from it. Don't water it down. Leave it the way it is. Let the verses take care of themselves. The verses are the issue. The words that we see on the page are the issue. And he's saying, Timothy, I want you to get this down first and charge some that are teaching this other stuff to stop. And then he says in verse, uh, verse, verse 4, what that generates is, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. And it's not just the idea that it's generating questions, but it's generating questions that aren't going to edify. For instance, did Adam have a belly button? It doesn't matter, right? That's a question people have. That question ministers more questions rather than godly edifying. It's not going to lead to anything. It's not, you know, one of the things I always think about is, does this help you in your daily life to know that Adam had a belly button or not? <laughs> You, know, you look at that, and that's, that's that issue. Does it matter in the grand scheme of things whether that was a true statement or not? And if it's not, then it's not edifying. It's not building somebody up. The purpose of, of meeting here is to edify one another, to build one another up, right? So how do we do that? He says, verse 5, <clears throat> Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of good conscience and faith unfeigned. 
those three issues takes care of the other three issues. If you have charity, we talked about in the, in the Sunday school session, right? What is charity? Charity is building up another individual, specifically a member of the church, the body of Christ. If you're sitting here today and you're saved, you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you're a member of the church, the body of Christ. And the purpose of us meeting here is to help build one another up, not tear each other down, not fuss and complain, but to do what? To build one another up. Hey, I'm struggling an issue in my life. How do I deal with it? Somebody else in this group has probably been through that same issue. Here's the verses that I use to get through it. And that's what it is. I can go through some stuff and I can help you out with some stuff, but you can go, you've gone through some things you can help me out with. And that's that issue of building each other up. The purpose of meeting here is to do that. When you look at, when you look at Philippians chapter 2, that's the issue of esteeming others better than yourself. That's the goal, is to say, you're more important than I am, not what I want's important. And of course, our culture in which we live today is what? It's me. It's all about me. You, know, you, you look at that, and it, it goes no farther than front-facing cameras on our phones, right? I got tired of taking a picture of myself in the mirror. I want to take a picture where I can see me so I can make sure I get the right picture so I can do something with, right? The whole selfie thing. It's me-centered. Well, the church is to be you-centered. I, I care more about you than my own good. And if each one of us feel that same way, then guess what happens? We're here to build each other up. And that's going to be the natural consequence of it. And that's what Paul is saying. Don't teach other doctrine that's going to put people under a law. But put people in the right information, and they're going to be able to find out that they're free to make decisions that's going to be godly. That's going to produce something in their lives. Now, when we get down, to her, down here to verse, verse 15, this is, this is the main context where we are now. Verse 15, notice, Paul, Paul's come down through talking about all this information, and there's a purpose behind it. Verse 15, he says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save who? sinners he didn't come to save righteous people aren't you glad to know that he came to he came to save you go real quick to romans romans chapter five <clears throat> and again we've, we've spent a bunch of time going through romans because it's one of those it's just it's a very important concept to be able to get and to go through the book of romans specifically chapter five Notice here in verse 6, Romans chapter 5, verse 6 says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for who? The righteous. Is that what it says? It doesn't. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. By the way, every one of us, that's where we were. Every one of us, we were sinners. And he chose to come in human flesh to go to a cross to die for us and die as us. Now, very, very seldom do you find anybody, you know, people say, well, the Bible is just written by men. What man's going to say that they're ungodly? No. 
I'm a sinner. No, we don't say that about ourselves. Right? We're going to build ourselves up. Look, I'm a, I'm a great guy. Look at all the good stuff that I do. This, the, the scriptures that we actually have were written by the Holy Spirit, God himself. And it was pinned down by men. But God, the Holy Spirit, before the world began, he's written these words. They were there before the world began. And he preserved them so that you and I can read them today. Because we're not going to speak unfavorably about ourselves. But a holy and just God will. Notice verse 7. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. Question. <clears throat> Did he wait to say, well, I'm going to wait until you get stuff straightened out. Then I'm going to die for you. And the answer is no, right? He says, while we were yet sinners. What happened? Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified. Now, this is a person who's trusted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. He says, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Now, that's one of those verses you look at and say, that's, that's a proof text for the pre-trib rapture. He's going to save us from that wrath. In fact, he's, already, he's saying it as if it's already done. Because in his mind, it is. So we look at this and he says, that's, that's a good thing to know. Well, go back real quick. <clears throat> Romans chapter 3. Here, here's, here's an important thing for us to kind of think about as we go through this stuff. And, and like I said, it's not something that, that we're going to think favorably of ourselves on this stuff. When we're looking at verse 15, what did Paul say? said, Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I am chief. Now, we'll talk about what that means here in a second. Most people look at that and they'll say, well, that means he was the worst sinner. No. If you go to a tribe, I'm what, 116th Native American. If you go to a Native American tribe and you say, where's the chief? Are they going to bring you the worst person in that tribe? No. The main one right? They're not going to go find the worst person in the tribe. They're going to get you. Here's the main guy. So when Paul's talking about I'm the chief, there's an issue in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 of why he calls himself the chief. And it's not because he was the worst of sinners. It was something completely different. We'll get to that in a moment. But notice here in Romans chapter 3 verse 9. Prior to what was revealed to the apostle Paul, what do we know is that there is a difference between Jews and Gentiles. The difference is Jews were God's chosen people. He said with Abraham, he says, I'm going to call you out and I'm going to do something with your seed. I'm going to make of your seed a great nation. And I'm going to set that nation apart from the rest of the world. And I'm going to say, this is what it looks like to have me as your God. And every single time God would do something for him, what did they do? Said, okay, well, that's good. Let's get rid of it. Let's go get something else. But what's interesting is it's not until you, you come to Paul, you find out something. Notice here in Romans chapter 3, verse 9. By the way, this doesn't sound like a good verse, but this is a really good verse, especially for you and I. Notice here in verse 9. What then are we better than they? Now, of course, the context here is he's talking about are we that are 
Gentiles better than they who are the nation of Israel. And you see that in the context, because if you notice in verse 1 of 3, he says, What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way, chiefly because unto them were committed the oracles of God. So the them and the they there, he's talking about the nation of Israel. And we see this, notice. What then, are we better than they? Are we who are alive now better than them? And the answer, of course, is what? No. In no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all what? Under sin. Now, that's a good thing to know about because you realize if we would have been alive over 2,000 years ago, you and I couldn't be here doing what we're doing right now today. And if we wanted to be anything to do with what Jesus Christ is doing, we're going to have to go over to Jerusalem to be able to be a part of it. We would have to go and become part of that nation of Israel that God said, I'm going to set aside and do something specific with. I'm going to do something amazing with. We would have had to have gone to be a part of what they're doing. But now something different. When you look at verse 9, you know it would have been, it would have been a, a shock for a, for a strict Jewish family to read Romans chapter 3, verse 9 and say that, wait, we're just like those people out there? That's what they're doing. But the good news is, the reason he did that is that he might have mercy upon all. It's a great thing. So that's why I say when you look at that verse, you're like, that doesn't sound good, but it is. Notice in verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. And you go on down through here and you find out the reason, the purpose of the law is that you know that you are a sinner. Here's God's standard. We fall all the time. So then when Paul says, back over in 1 Timothy, <clears throat> back over in 1 Timothy, chapter 1, <clears throat> 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. He says, This is the faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation. Do you know what that means? This is something that is worthy of your acceptance, of paying attention to, looking at and saying, I believe what you're getting ready to say. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. You know, it's a good thing to know that you're a sinner because if you weren't you're not being talked about in that verse and here's what we mean when he says of whom I am chief notice in verse 16 how be it for this cause what cause because I am I am a sinner notice I obtained mercy notice those next four words that in me first if something's first, what's that mean? Nothing's ever been like that before. You're first. If we're the first ones here this morning, no one beat us here, right? You're not. Let's quit. If you're not first, you're last. Okay, we get it. All right. Quit watching movies, everybody. But here's the thing. If you're first, that means no one was here before you, right? 
So then when you talk about and you look at this where he says to save sinners of whom I am chief, how be it for this cause I obtained mercy that in me first. The, 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 what we notice here is there is something very specific about this individual, Paul. He says what? That in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should what? Hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. So then if, again, this issue of being first, that means what we read here is the first time something's taking place and it's going to take place from, how, from that point to what? Hereafter. From now on, this is how this is, how this is going to take place. Now, <clears throat> let's go back real quick just to get an idea of where we are. Go back to Acts chapter 9. <clears throat> Acts chapter 9. <clears throat> well, let's get an idea of this of this man. Now, Acts chapter 7 and Acts chapter 8, we get a little bit more information about this guy, Paul, at this time Saul. Notice here in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. Now you stop and think for a second. What's that verse tell us that Paul was doing, or Saul at that time? What was he doing? Breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, and he goes to the high priest. His whole goal was to what? I'm going to destroy this thing that's coming out of Jerusalem. And he goes to the high priest. He goes to the religious folks and says, I want something from you all. And notice verse 2, he tells you what it is. And desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues. He goes to the religious folks at that time and says, give me, give me the authority to go and do what I want to do, which is get rid of people who are believing in this resurrected Christ. This is, the, this is, this is what he was doing at that particular time. Notice, and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. That was his goal. He wanted to go and arrest people for believing in this resurrected Jesus Christ. And he goes to the religious people to get that letter. Give me permission to go do this. And you know what? They did. This was, this was the guy who was who we just found out, and he says, there's something that in me first, something's taking place that didn't take place before. Now, wouldn't it be nice to have what, what took place for him happen for us? You're walking along, and you, bright light shines down, and you're like, okay, I believe now. But here's the best part. When we, when we go over to Peter, Peter tells us what? We have a more sure word of prophecy wherein you do well to take heed. He said, we saw the transfiguration of Christ, but there's something better than that, and that's these words written down. He says, we've got something better than 
a vision. We've got something better than an experience. We've got something better than an emotion because this will never change. And you look at those things and we, you know, it'd be, yeah, it'd be fantastic if we had this. But all we can do is walk by faith, right? Walking by faith is what? Just trust what God's Word says. That's it. Go real quick over to Romans chapter 3. <clears throat> what took place that day? Romans chapter 3. We'll start here at verse 21. Notice Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Do you all notice that first word in verse 21? But. Do you know what, do you know what that word but means? Here's something. Here's something. They're completely different. Right now, if you wanted to know what God's righteousness looked like, what God's righteousness was, where would you go? The law. Here's what his standard is. Notice here in verse 31. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. You could go back in the law and prophets, you would find out about God's righteousness. But notice here, he says, but now the righteousness of God, what? Without the law is manifested. There's something about God's righteousness that's not attached to the law that he's saying, I'm making manifested something about my righteousness today that is without the law. And we notice it, notice here, verse 22. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ. Now pause there for a second. Do you know where you look today to find God's righteousness? You look to the cross. If you want to look at what faith is, notice there it says, by faith of Jesus Christ. When you look at the cross, you see Christ's faithfulness to say, Father, I'm going to go to this tree. I'm going to go to this cross. I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to trust your word in every single aspect of my life, and I'm going to go to the cross knowing what's going to come after that. In fact, you look at the, you look at the cross, and the entire time Christ has verses on his mind. He says, I thirst. The reason he says I thirst is because the verses say that he's going to say I thirst. And he's thinking this verse needs to be fulfilled. It, even his worst time, his mind is set on the things of the scriptures. And we look at that and say that is God's righteousness being put on display without the law. And we look at that, but here's a good thing. Notice this. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all. Now, as we've looked at this before, what did he say about all back in Romans chapter 3? All are under sin. Do you know why it's important to say that all were under sin? So that it might be available to who? All. By the way, that all includes all of us, folks that are watching, people that are outside this building that are meeting in churches this morning, all over the place, people that don't go to churches, that includes all of us. And he's made his righteousness. By the way, 
when you take a look at what God's giving you for what you're putting in, you're getting the best deal ever. He says, I'm going to give you my righteousness by you believing in what my son did. My perfection is now yours if you trust in what Christ did. That's wonderful. And he says, notice, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all. So that means it's available to who? All. Notice, and upon all them, that what? So here's the thing. Out of the all, some believe. Out of the all, some don't. Who gets his righteousness? It's available to everybody, but who gets it are the ones that believe. So then the good part about this is you can be here and choose to believe and then you move up there. And Paul was saying, I was one of these. He was saying, I was one of these. But then I believed. That's what he's saying there. Notice this. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all, available to everybody, and upon all them that believe, why? For there is no difference. Do you realize... If you were alive during Jesus Christ's earthly ministry, that verse couldn't have been true. Because there was a difference. There was a difference between Jews and a difference between Gentiles. By the way, God's the one that made that difference. and said, I'm going to do something special with Abram and his seed. And I'm going to do something to show the world this is what it looks like. To have me as their God. We were not the same as them. But now that in me first, if you've got a guy down here and he becomes part of that, guess what? There is no difference now. And that's what we're looking at. Why is there no difference, Paul? Verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's our status. Before we got saved, that was our status. Available to all. Righteousness given to those that believe. Those that's not, still in your sin. Notice in verse 24. When you believe, <coughs> growing up, growing up, I was told, if you believe Jesus is Lord, that's all you need. If you believe Jesus is Lord, you're never going to get sick. You're never going to need money. You're never going to have to want for anything. He's going to give you everything you need. Don't worry about car. Don't worry about job. All that stuff. He'll give all of it to you. Just believe Jesus is Lord. But here's the problem. 
That's not what he's asking us to believe today. Something specific. But with that doesn't come houses and cars and money. It doesn't come with that stuff. It comes with something better. Something that you can't hold on to unless you know that you've got it from the book. Here's one of them. Verse 24. Being justified. Do you know what that word justified means? That means you are righteous. Not because you've done something. Not because you're a good person. But because you're in His Son. God says, I'm going to declare you just righteous. I'm going to give you my righteousness the moment you trust in my son. He's going to declare you perfect, complete in his son, not by works. How? Being justified. What's that next word? Freely. What do you got, what do, you got to do to get it? If it's not free, then it's not free. But I'll tell you this. We mentioned this before. It's not free to us. It, it is free to us, but it wasn't free to Christ. Somebody pays. He paid. So that we can get it freely. He says what? Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God has set forth to be a propitiation there's that word we talked about a minute ago what's that mean that means he is a fully satisfying payment if you have to have another payment then it's not a fully satisfying payment like I said he paid but how do we get it whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. How do you get it? Go to Romans chapter 4 real quick. <clears throat> By the way, when you look at that word believe, like I said, once you believe, what happens is there's a whole bunch of stuff that takes place. You don't know about it. You don't feel it. You don't know anything about it unless you read the book and find out you've got it. In Ephesians, he talks about you're blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. You can't, you can't taste righteousness. You can't look at it. You don't know what it looks like, but he's given you his righteousness. You don't feel it. You're never going to know it unless you read there in Romans chapter 3. It says you're justified freely by his grace. You have forgiveness of sins. You wouldn't know that unless the verses didn't tell you that. Well, what if I sin? He's already forgiven you. Move on. Quit trying to gain favor with the man who created the earth and the heavens that's already in your favor. <laughs> Don't look at what do I need to do to gain when he says, I've given you all things. Right off the bat, here it is. 
You're sanctified. That means to be set apart for a particular purpose. That means that God has a purpose for your life. That's one of the things that most people, younger folks, I teach in the high school, I see this all the time. Many things that students deal with is identity issues and acceptance issues. If you know who you are in Christ, who, what your identity is, is who God's made you, then you're not going to worry about who am I. You're going to know who you are. You're not going to have to worry about acceptance issues because if I'm accepted in the beloved, which is one of the spiritual blessings you have, if I'm accepted in the beloved, who is Christ, what do I need to do to get more acceptance? Nothing. You're accepted by the one who can stand before you and judge you one day. And he says, I'm going to give that to you by you believing. Now, some folks will say, well, if you believe, that means you've done something. There's a work. Romans chapter 4, verse 4. <clears throat> now to the him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Now pause there for a second. You've got a job. At the end of each week, what happens? Do they pay you for what you're going to do next week? Or are they going to pay you for the job you did this week? Because they, they owe you a debt now. Because you've worked. So have you ever stopped and thought about if we say to God that I've got to work, what we're saying is you now owe me something. Because that's what work does. Work is what? To him that worketh is a reward not reckoned of grace but of debt. We're saying, I've done stuff, now God, you owe me something. That's what work is. But you look here at verse 5, notice this. But to him that worketh not, but what? Do you know what believing is? It's not a work. Do you know what believing is? I agree with what that book says. What did I do there? Brother Jordan said, if that was all it took for you to get to heaven, you don't know if you did it right. Because the moment you do this, you say, God, you owe me something now. Because I did something. But instead, we look at it and say, I thank the Lord that Jesus Christ died for sinners. I thank the Lord that I'm one of them. And I thank the Lord that He's going to give me an opportunity to give me His eternal life, His righteousness, the moment that I don't do anything except just believe what He says. Great. Great trade-off. But oftentimes we're told what? Well, you got to do something to get on somebody's good favor. Can I tell you this? What God is doing today in the dispensation of the grace of God is He is showing forth His mercy, His grace, His long-suffering, I've had conversations with my mom. She's like, you know, I look around at the world and like, why is God letting this stuff happen? I was like, His long suffering's on display. We think that we're suffering. His son went to the cross. He's having, to, he's having to watch His creation do what His creation's doing, knowing that they were going to do it. And He said, I'm going to go and die for them. And He sits back and He says, and you still won't believe in what my son did. He's the one that's long-suffering, not us. He's patient. He's holding, he's holding back the wrath. Wrath, by the way, if you're saved, you're, you're saved from. He's holding back His wrath. Mercy, we talked about this in 1 Timothy. 
Mercy is God withholding what you deserve. He's saying, you deserve me to wipe it out, but I'm holding that back. Why? To give you another day of grace, give you another opportunity to trust in what his son's done. To look at the cross and say, you accomplished something there that I could never have accomplished myself. The most minuscule thing you could think that you could possibly do to gain favor with God, he counts it as filthy rags. And he says, all you got to do is just believe. Notice, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. You know what's interesting? God says, you've missed the mark. You can't attain to my righteousness, but my son goes and dies on the cross. You look at that and you say, I agree with you that he died for my sins. He was buried and rose again the third day. Nothing I can do. I'm just going to simply trust in what you did. And God's going to say, you now have my righteousness. Christ was made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And He says, not only that, but you're sanctified. You're glorified. You're accepted in the beloved. You're now part of something that the majority of people out here don't know about, and you can go and do stuff that you couldn't have done before because my words are going to start working in you in a way that you could never imagine. So when we go back over here to 1 Timothy chapter 1, in verse 15, and Paul says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It's a good thing to be that. Today. Because now you have an opportunity to have something that you couldn't have gotten before. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Paul, talks about, Paul talks about the fact that we, we are to forgive as we've been forgiven. Now, you go back to Matthew chapter 6, Christ says what? If you don't forgive others, then your Father won't forgive you. That's a conditional forgiveness. But what we're told is you're already forgiven. Now go to forgive people because you're already forgiven. And have you ever thought about this? You can't forgive somebody unless they do something against you. So when somebody does something against you, you say, praise the Lord, thank you, now I have an opportunity to forgive you. That, that, that's that same issue here. It's a good thing to know that we were. Go real quick to Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> And there's plenty of other places we could go, but I just want, I want to pick out some things to let us see. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul here is writing to saved individuals. Folks who have trusted in Christ. Verse 1, he says, And you hath, past tense, he quickened. That word quickened means to be made alive. You're dead. 
You trust Christ, you're quickened. You're made alive. In fact, not just that you're made alive, but you're given His life. I've heard it said before, Jesus Christ gave His life at Calvary for you, that He can give you His life to you the moment that you trust in what He's done, that He might live His life through you each and every day as you live by faith in God's Word. He died. He gave His life. He gives you His life. He walks for you <laughs> by you trusting in the verses. By the way, none of that's stuff that we do. That's Him, His Word, working in and through us to produce this stuff. He says, who were quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. As a saved person, that's who we notice were, used to be. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That's these folks down here. We used to be that group of people. And then we looked at the cross and said, I trust what Christ did and I move up here. Now, notice, among whom also we all had our conversations in, in, time, in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Notice that verse 4 was the first word, but. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love, wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins. By the way, when you look at these folks down here, what are they? Dead in sins. I was thinking about this earlier. In Romans chapter 5, it says, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. It's good to be there and recognize you're there because if you recognize that, then you can get out because of the grace. If you don't realize that you're in sin, then you're not going to be able to... Grace isn't going to abound for you. It's good to recognize that because guess what? There's only one place to go from there is up. And right now, the fact that we're breathing, we have that opportunity and that choice to do so. He says who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath what? Quickened us together with Christ. The moment that that happens, what happens is what? We're quickened. We're given life. His life. He comes in. One of the, one of the spiritual blessings you have is you're indwelt by the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He comes in and takes up residence inside you. The inner man is the issue. Not outward stuff. Not cars. Not houses. I really like my Trans Am, but I'm okay if it goes away one day because that means I'm in glory. Because that's the issue. What's going on in here? Building up what's in here is the most important issue. <coughs> Notice, even when we were dead in sins... Well, I skipped one, didn't I? No. Verse 5. Even when we are dead in sins, hath quickened us together, notice, with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together. Notice this, and hath, past tense, raised, past tense, us up together, and, pa and past tense, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. By the way, if you're saved, 
Do you know where you are positionally right now? You're seated in the heavenlies with Christ. Now you think about that, and then problems in life don't seem so bad. But we get so caught up here, and it's easy to do. But notice, verse 7, that, here's the purpose, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding grace, the riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Verse 8, for by grace you are saved through faith. Grace is what? All the things that God's able to do with you for you because of what Christ did. Grace is what? I'm going to give you grace. Grace, we said this a minute ago. Mercy is what? God withholding what you deserve. Grace is God giving you what you don't deserve. Do you deserve His righteousness? But He gives it to you anyway. Because you're in His Son. Grace says, I'm going to give you stuff. In fact, here what He's going to give you is what? Salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. What's that mean? You can't do anything to get it. If it is something of yourselves, then that verse is wrong. And if that verse is wrong, the Holy Spirit's wrong, and I don't believe the Holy Spirit's wrong. Because remember, the Holy Spirit wrote that verse, and Paul penned it. It is the gift of God. The salvation is the gift of God. Who purchased the gift? Christ did. Who's given the gift? The Father. And the Holy Spirit, the moment you trust in that, comes in and dwells you. The triune Godhead is a part of your salvation. And it's also part of your life after that. What about works, Paul? Glad you brought it up. Not of works. Again, if it was of works, then that verse is wrong and the Holy Spirit was wrong. The Holy Spirit wasn't wrong. It says what? Not of works. Why? Lest any man should boast. Do you know why it's not of works? Because I'd go around saying, the reason I'm righteous is because of look at all the stuff I've done. Look at me. Paul says, those that, that uh, <clears throat> compare themselves among themselves, it's not good. People do it all the time. The problem is, if you look around a room, you're saying, well, I'm better than this person, this person, this person. Keep going, you're going to get to a person that's better than you. Then you're like, wait a minute. Maybe I need to go do something else. But instead of that, let's look to the cross. 1 Corinthians 15, we'll stop here. <clears throat> There's, a, again, a bunch of places we could go and get this. <clears throat> We've got it in Romans, 1 Corinthians 15, <clears throat> verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. He's talking to people that's already trusted it. Now the issue in Romans or 1 Corinthians 15 is he's talking about the resurrection of Christ, and if the resurrection of Christ didn't take place, then we don't have a resurrection. So he's given proof text for that. So his point's not, here's the gospel, it's, you all have already believed the gospel. And the gospel is going to do something. Part of that gospel is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. But notice this. They've already received it, and they're already standing there. Verse 2. By which also ye are what? That's what saved them. That gospel is what saved them. 
If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, what? There's that word again, right? First of all. What's the first issue that we need to know? Is first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. Paul's including himself there. He said, he said I, was, I, was, I was a sinner. I was chief of the sinners, right? I was the first one that had this happen. Verse 4. And then he was buried, and then he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. When we look at the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, it's not, just, it's not just an unfortunate event that happened in history. It was a pre-planned event that God said, if anybody trusts in what my son does on the cross, trust in his blood and his blood alone, and what I say about what took place there, you move from being in Adam, going to hell, to in Christ, going to heaven. Just by simply trusting in what he's done, the moment that we do that, we become part of what Paul calls, what the Holy Spirit calls, the church, which is his body. In verse 1 Timothy 1.16, he says, Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering, that's patience there, for a pattern to them which should hereafter, what? Believe on him to life everlasting. Can I tell you, the greatest exchange that can ever take place in your life is that exchange right there. Where you say, I recognize who I am, and I'm going to look at the cross and say, you've accomplished everything. I can't gain what you're promising me through anything that I do. I can only gain because of what you've done. And by simply placing our faith in what he did, that's what Paul did. Paul trusted it. And Paul's a pattern. He says there, for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe. He's a pattern. We say, this is what he did. He trusted in what Christ did. Wholly and completely. He didn't go and do things to gain. He went and did things because he had it. And I'd ask you to not leave here today without having that settled in your mind and in your heart.